0: Hi, welcome to Hocus Pocus, Let's Focus podcast. I'm Susie. And I'm Dee. And we are two witchy friends opening up the broom closet door to answer your questions about the overall spiritual and metaphysical journey. We are here to create a fun and safe atmosphere.
1: So sit back, as two witchy friends, bring you interesting topics as we jump into this Hocus Pocus, Let's Focus episode.
0: Hello uh, to our wonderful audience, and we have a special guest with us here today, Howdy. This is Molly. We're super excited to How have are on. you.
2: Howdy. Howdy is not Maine. I, I if I was say if I was gonna be main, I'd be like, oh yup. Yeah. <laughs> Should not have drank water at that point. It's <laughs> a good start. Strong start.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh just to let everyone know we are all sweating our butts off in the different areas that we are at. Um I, I'm I'm lucky enough to crank my AC even Oh, it's about, what is it? Oh, we're only at 99 today right now. 104 the high. D is sweating her butt <laughs> off in her old apartment and Molly is sweating her butt off in, out in Maine. You have the better
1: scenery, to be honest. Oops. Yes.
2: Yeah, I'll take it. I, I'll, I'll trade a couple of months of intense humidity for being able to go to the beach anytime I want.
0: Uh, oh, no. I was telling Molly that, I, Molly, I was telling D, Molly, that I missed the water since... We're here in the desert. Ugh. and I miss come it. Come
1: with me. Let's all move together. Let's all just like move to headquarters over there. Come on, to over. Maine. Come, no, over.
0: come on, Oh, to Austin. Oh, yeah. I miss living in Austin.
2: I mean, you could also come to Maine. Yeah, uh, we, could we go can. There. <laughs> That's and then just migrate south with the winter. That's actually true. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Austin in the winter, Maine in the summer. Okay,
0: yeah, because I'm I'm a sissy in the winter in the cold months. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Are you are you outdoorsy in, in the cold winter months, Molly?
2: No. Absolutely not. Oh, Absolutely okay. Not. I'm like a I'm outdoorsy in like the two months of spring and the two months of fall. And the rest of that, I will only go outside if there's like perfect weather conditions. Okay. <laughs> I, I am all
0: <laughs> I do not it also honestly, like the the cold months just make me want to stay home and snuggle and be comfy and I get real mm-hmm. lazy and I don't want to get up and do it go anywhere yeah. do anything so
2: Mm-mm. I get it
1: how is the birding community over there do you guys get a lot of pretty birds really random question
2: maybe I, I truly yeah. do not know I have like a one friend that I met recently who's a bird watcher and I was like oh up until that point I forgot there was birds in Maine um like we, I see birds I see birds I hear uh-huh. birds but I just don't, like, interact with birds enough to know oh, wow. <laughs> anything. I mean, seagulls, we have a very intense what? seagull population. Um, you can find them at the beach or at the Burger Kings.
1: Uh. Also, it's like the pigeons here.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Okay. Dia started uh
0: that's her, that's your zen time, huh? The, your bird watching?
1: It's a little dead because of this. The, the, heat. Oh, the heat but that's mm. why i'm like oh we're so very curious because you have such pretty scenery and mm. you come fall come winter and i was just like that must be nice just to to go out in your backyard or your front yard or any kind of that word and just see like the different types of bur- like bird variety
2: yeah so. yeah <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um so i'm sure everybody's wondering like well who's molly <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and give Molly's a formal intro here, but um, she is actually my Reiki teacher. So. yeah. And if you have been listening to the pod for a while, you know that I have discussed about my Reiki classes and Molly being awesome and all kinds of stuff. So now everyone can listen in and share my my uh, my awesomeness of like molly like i blows <laughs> my mind all the time and so i'm like oh i was so excited when you said yeah come on yeah I know we've absolutely. been planning this for a while but now we yeah. got it. <laughs> all right so molly dunlan is a reiki master teacher crystal healing expert, yoga teacher, and co-host of the Demystify Magic podcast. With a background as an advocate for survivors of sexual violence and as a former skeptic of all things woo, Molly brings a unique perspective to this work. She emphasizes the importance of trauma-informed care while teaching through a blend of science and spirituality. Molly's approach is lighthearted and grounded in practicality because life is stressful enough and these practices are meant to reduce the stress of life, not add to it. Yes,
2: ma'am. Heck yes. (laughs) It sounds so much better with someone else reading it. (laughs) You're like, hmm, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that Molly, that Molly person sounds really legit.
0: (laughs) She's the real deal here.
2: I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for... I'm excited. I feel like, Dee, I feel like I know you just through Susie, (laughs) because Susie has been, uh, you know, you've been a student of mine for, I feel like forever, but I think it's only been like a year and a half. But I don't remember life before having you in in our our little community of graduates. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: I was actually going back through my notes. um, When I first took a class, you were offering uh, the seed to bloom. Oh, Yeah that's when I first started. And from no, there. No, before
2: that. Was it? Because you did Reiki training last spring, right? Yeah. Reiki last July.
0: Yeah. Dang.
2: Mm-hmm. It,
0: it just seems so long ago.
2: I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. I don't remember life before it.
0: Yeah. And then we just clicked <laughs> also because I had a ton of questions and Molly's nice <laughs> enough to like, if you have any questions, don't, don't. And I was like, girl, say less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I do remember seeing Molly first on TikTok, and mm-hmm. then following on Instagram and she was doing, um, Reiki and I was like, cool, let's see what this is all about. So Molly, for those that may not know, what is Reiki exactly in your words?
2: Yeah. So how I like to describe it is Reiki is an energy healing practice, helps support your relaxation, helps with healing, relieves stress, um, a lot of times people ask me, is it like massage? Is it like meditation? Cause there's all these kind of like, what is this? Like very intangible. So I like to say it's like massage in the way that you feel more relaxed after. And you maybe lay down on a table when you get a session,
1: mm-hmm. but it's not like a
2: massage because you're fully clothed and the person doing Reiki doesn't actually have to touch you. They could do a light touch. They could do hands hovering. They could do it from a distance. And it's like meditation in that it's a practice of cultivating presence and acceptance and um, sort of like, mm, like renegotiating our relationship to stress and our relationship to what's happening in our mind. But not all meditation is Reiki because Reiki has like a very specific protocol and energetic component to it. So if that helps, if that helps folks at home, it's kind of like compartmentalize what it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I know when I had Reiki first done, um, which is where I met D through, um, a mutual friend of ours, which I didn't know at the time, Gabby, um, had done, had read my cards and then was like, okay, I'm going to do your, your Reiki session. Asked me if I even looked up what it was. (laughs) I had no idea. A friend, a, a friend of mine had, you know, recommended her to me and I was like, almost like anything threw my hands up in the air. I was like... Let's see what this is. Had no idea. And so I did lay on a table. Um, mm-hmm. She did tell me, you know, you can have your eyes open or closed. I'm going to start at your head and I'm going to, you know, she, and hers was no touch. She just hovered.
2: Nice.
0: Um, never once did she say, do you want hands on or off? That was just hers, her way of doing it. And she was like, and if you have your eyes closed, um, you might feel me in one place, but if you open your eyes, you might see me in another. I'm just moving mm-hmm. around the energy where it needs to. And I'm just like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm real- it is it is very relaxing, but my brain kept going like, what is she doing because yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't understand. And so at one time I was like, I'm just gonna peek my eyes because I did feel her like on my left side and then she was like on my right side by my feet and I was mm-hmm. like, what is this sorcery?
2: Yeah. Isn't it wild? Yeah, I was in a yoga class once, like very, very early on when I first kind of like heard the word Reiki, but didn't know what it was. I went to a yoga class that had Reiki and the person was at my feet, like hovering over my feet. And I swear to God, I could, I would have bet my house on the fact that they were touching my head. Like there, I thought there was two practitioners. And I looked up and I was like, what, what, what is that? Yeah. Why do I feel it on my head? <laughs> yeah, it
0: is crazy. And then um, a friend of mine, Elena, uh, which we've had on the show before, mm-hmm. um, she was offering free Reiki distance. Mm. And of course I'm like, how does that work? This was before mm-hmm. like I had seen you. And then I had already known it was a little bit. So I was like, all right, cool. I had my crystals. I'm going to put it all over whatever. And she's like, all right, this is what I'm going to start. This is what I'm going to finish. I'm going to send you voice memos. And I was like, cool, do it. And then, if anything, at least I had time for myself. I just told my husband, hey, I'm going to have a Reiki session. And then I told her, as, as soon as I was, I started crying for zero reason. Mm-hmm. zero reason crying. And then I stopped and then I felt relaxed. And then I swear the crystal I had on my third, I was like vibrating. I was like, there's no way mm-hmm. this is in my head. Because I mean, where I'm going with my next question, you're skeptical of all this, right? Mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I know I resonated with you off the bat when you said you were a skeptic of Reiki and you deep dive into the science of it, at least in class, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, how do you respectfully speak with those with skepticism or critics to come across your page? And have you changed anyone's perspective on Reiki's, the chakras, crystal, or yoga?
2: Yeah. so I always like to say, and and you know this from training that i I categorize skeptics into right? There's two paths when you're a skeptic. There's a the path of judgment, right, Where you're like, this is, bullshit and nothing's going to change my mind otherwise. And let me just troll your TikTok page and write mean comments. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And when you're a judgment, the brain is really cute because it, it has this filtration system where it starts to see things that basically back up whatever you believe. And so when you're a judgment and you're locked into that judgment, all you see, like, it doesn't matter what evidence you see. It's not going to change your mind. Mm hmm. The other path to skepticism, which you you fell down, I fell down, most people that I work with are down that path, is the path of curiosity, where you're like, I don't really know about this thing. Seems a little woo, seems a little out there, not so sure about it, but I'm willing and open to see if it will work for me. And so for me, if, if someone's coming to me and they're a judgmental skeptic, my go-to is I have nothing to prove, I have nothing to defend. Like I'm just here sharing, take it or leave it. If you're a judgmental skeptic, I'll just block you if you're a dick. But if you're a curious skeptic, like we're gonna get along great because that that was me. I truly thought that Reiki was like the most hocus pocus Harry Potter bullshit of my entire life, and nothing would have convinced me otherwise except for the fact that I had chronic hip pain in my early twenties, and I had a very you know my my job as an advocate was extremely stressful, and you know was reaching that sort of like breaking point of burnout, and I had a yoga teacher who had a similar job to me, similar pain to me, and was able to heal it through Reiki. And she had a path of skepticism too. And so she convinced me to go to a session. And like you, I was like, well, whatever. I'll I'll just lie here. I guess it's relaxing. Mm -hmm. But when I was in that session, I had such a profound experience. I saw, like with my eyes closed, this wispy white light in the shape of my hip come out of my body, rotate and snap back into place. And I just had this feeling in my gut, like I needed, I needed to know more. And the next day I woke up in significantly less pain. And a week later, my chiropractor was like, what did you do? Your hips are in alignment for the first time ever. And so I basically went into my first Reiki training, either, you know, on that path of curiosity being like, I'm either going to prove my skepticism, right? Or I'm going to prove my experience, right? And I just found that bless her heart. My first Reiki master, she was so woo woo up in the clouds. I could not track with her. So I was like that annoying kid on a car ride being like, why does it work? Why does that happen? What is that? What's happening? Uh, And, and, and it really was through my own deep dive into the science behind what's happening and understanding that there is research. There are so many studies at this point that prove that Reiki's effective at reducing pain, stress, and anxiety, that proved my experience on a clinical level that proved it's not just a placebo effect. And once I had that science sort of like understood in my mind, my skepticism was able to sort of like quiet so that I could experience Reiki in my own body. And it was through that sort of hand in hand of understanding the science and my own experience that I was able to to come out of my skepticism. So that's what I share with my students you know, you know, through the training, it's right. the emphasis is on science, the emphasis is on how you can use Reiki in your own life, how you can use it in two minutes at a time, if you're really busy, so that you don't have an excuse to kind of like, put it off and put it off and put it off. And that that is what changes people's perspective. It's not about me trying to convince anyone. It's not about me trying to change your beliefs. If you're curious, dive on it, please. If I'm the right teacher for you, dive on with me. If I'm not, then dive on with someone else. But um, yeah, I'm not really in the business of convincing anyone. I'm more of the business of of helping you really follow your curiosity. like that.
0: I know Dee did Reiki one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you felt, I know I do mine virtually. And I know Dee had done hers in person. So mine
1: was done in person. Um, we had it with a list, and I have only completed Reiki one. But I had a question for you because you said that you had a pain. Mm-hmm. How? I guess, like, what? When did you decide to go down like the scientific rabbit hole? Because I know I, that's what I see, like, the diving into the science behind it.
2: When did I dive into the science but, after yeah, my hip like,
1: pain? Mm-hmm. Like, like, how did you go to all those steps where you're just like, oh, this is this yeah. is, this is, is something. Because I had heard a lot of people who are doing acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Like they've gone to India and they've had hip pain and that unlocks a whole like trauma response oh, in yeah. several different areas. And that's oh, yeah. why I'm very curious as to yours. That's what brought you yeah.
2: yeah, my hip pain was absolutely a trauma response. But the thing is the trauma wasn't mine you know, I had, I had worked with survivors of sexual violence for nine years. Um, I started that work when I was 17. So by the time I was 23, I was six years deep. And I really, I was never taught how to metabolize the trauma I was experiencing day after day after day. So I was just storing it in my body. I was just holding onto it. And so my hips were responding in that way, because of A, I was holding all this trauma, but b that work completely changed my perspective of the world. I didn't see the world as a safe place. I was like walking through life, expecting to be assaulted at any moment, which I didn't realize wasn't normal, (laughs) which is wild to say now, but you know, when you're 23 and your whole life is like social justice work, it just becomes the lens that you view the world through. And so for me, I tried everything, you know, I saw osteopaths and physical therapists and chiropractors and acupuncturists. I, you know, I had like lumbar support in my car and orthopedic insoles in my shoes. I couldn't walk on the beach because the sand was so destabilizing to my hip. I'd be in pain for a week after. And so I was at the point where I was like, I'm willing to try anything. I don't care how out there it is. If it helps, I'm going to dive so far down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Um, and that's really what Reiki was. It was the first thing that brought me any semblance of relief because at that point I'd been in pain for, I don't know, maybe a a year or or two by the time I went to my first session. And, um, like for me, I just kind of accepted the fact that I was going to be in pain the rest of my life. (laughs) And, um, and it was through Reiki that I was able to relieve some of that, that stress from my job so that I could release the trauma from other people's stories and come out of the fear response and it really was when i started doing reiki for myself and went through my first training that i was able to do that because you know an advocacy budget budget does not allow me to go to a reiki session every single day (laughs) Mm -hmm. but learning reiki once i was able to have that tool that i could use every single day to maintain the like pain relief in between sessions
0: yeah for sure um I think a lot of us, especially if you work in Molly's line, mine, you know, where you absorb a lot of other people's energy, it's very easy mm-hmm. to have that just stick in your body and not even be aware. I mean, yeah. I'm a teacher and a lot of times I didn't wasn't even aware that I was holding on to a lot of my, my students' traumas, you know, especially because mm-hmm. I teach dance and when you teach dance and you're stretching, a lot of those are like hip openers and then yeah. they start at first I was like, why are you freaking out for no reason? Or why are you crying all of a sudden? You know? So now that I'm learning more, it's, well, before this, obviously, but learning more in my field, I was like, Oh yeah, this is why, yeah. because they don't teach that. Obviously they don't teach that in school, Mm-mm. which they should. I think mm-hmm. as, as far as my line of work as a dance instructor teacher in the public school, no less um, that should be
1: offered in yeah. my opinion. No, it's because you're dealing with science. I mean, it, it's all carrying it there. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing hip openers with a bunch of yeah, I mean, both of you have worked in in lines where it's they're not it's not hormones, it's just like so many emotions. Like whether it oh, has yeah. been assaulted, whether they're coming into their own, it's just there needs to be some science, not just like for instance, for you, for you, Susan, it's scientific. Like mm-hmm. when you start opening it up, and like how, like that's literally like right in the area of like all yep. your private sections and all yeah. your, stuff, you know, and then in yours too, it's like a lot of trauma from everyone who's got in, and just when you hear and you have to the stories of survivors, it's just not an easy either way. Yeah, both in both instances, is what right? I mean.
2: Oh, yeah. for sure, for sure.
1: I think
0: before. Well, not I think. I know before Reiki, um, I would actually be very drawn to crystals. At first, I was like a rock collector.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
0: another way that I I resonated with Molly so much because she also talks not only about the chakras, but she has programs on her chakras and um, crystals.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I just wanted to touch a little bit because it can be overwhelming. Totally. It can be so. As a crystal lover, can you tell us how you pick crystals that can be less overwhelming to either a newbie or even an advanced crystal lover, as myself?
2: Okay, here's what you're gonna do. This is the only way that I pick crystals these days, and and the only way that I recommend anyone pick them. All right, that's my that's my hot take. This is the only way <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I don't give a, I don't give a lot of have tos when I teach, but you have right. to try this. Uh, you're gonna go to a crystal store anyone, I don't care which one. Take a lap. Look at all of the crystals that you see. Don't read any of the little papers that say what they do or what they are. Just take a lap. Take it all in. When you get to the other side of the store, go back to whatever crystal you're still thinking about. Buy that one. Don't look it up. Don't don't look at the little piece of paper, okay? Spend the next week, two weeks, four weeks with it. And maybe keep a little journal on you know, how you feel in the morning, how you feel at the end of the day, put it in your pocket, bring it with you throughout the day, maybe try meditating with it, maybe try sleeping with it under your pillow. And then at the end of that time, I usually do a month when I'm getting to know a new crystal, but I'm a little bit extreme. At the end of that time, look back on anything that's shifted in your life. That could be something you feel in your body, something you feel in your emotions, that could be a shift in a thought pattern, a belief, a way you're showing up in the world. Maybe it's circumstances that have happened unexpectedly. And then see if you can distill a lesson. Hey, What what did that crystal support you with over the last four weeks? And then look it up. Because what happens is we get overwhelmed because there's an abundance of information about crystals out there. And it's all different, right? right? If I Googled what does amethyst do, I'm going to get a 15 page dissertation. That's going to tell me a bunch of different things. And then the second website is going to tell me the exact opposite of all those things. (laughs) But really the, the best way to work with crystals is to use them as a tool to connect with your intuition. And so instead of, just jumping to someone else's decision of what amethyst does for example figure out how it supports you how does it show up in your own life and the cool part is because you're so aware of that and aware of what's happening in your life you have kind of this marked moment this marked experience with that crystal that you'll never forget what it does it's always going to be there in the back of your mind oh that was from the month that i you know won that dance competition because i wasn't super nervous or whatever (laughs) oh, I can use this one to help me next time I'm nervous, next time I have a big competition or whatever. So it's a lot easier to not only pick them, but also remember what they do and work with them. And also like, this is your permission to throw out all of the rules that you may have learned about crystals because like, you're not going to screw it up. So don't worry about like, you have to know all the things first. You don't. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Actually, that's how I pick my crystals. Exactly how you said that is... uh... Mm -hmm. When, when I first went down, I got introduced with a necklace. It was a rose quartz. And I had it during a very difficult time in my life um, five years ago. And it was crystal clear. And when I finished wearing it, it was all shattered. Uh, all inside looked like something oh. had just smashed it inside. Mm-hmm. And I was always very perplexed. like, how can one crystal, being clear, go and do all of that, those things? you know, energetically speaking. And when I was trying to make sense of my world being tipped upside down five years ago, I remember kind of like clinging on to some, you know, to whatever concept that makes, I'm a very big placebo. Like, I mean, I had having a degree in psychology in that aspect, I was just like, huh, how, how true is there? There's always a bit of skepticism. And I remember at that time, I don't know why, but I always want. I was always very drawn during that period to smoky quartz. Mm. Um, smoky quartz and tiger eye have always been, and then I also had a hematite ring. And during those time, during certain periods of my time, I would always wear hematite on my ringer, on my ring finger, up until one point it started to break, and I always kind of figured that that crystal had done what it needed to do for me, and I haven't needed to go back to it since. And because I'm the same way, like I I look at one thing and you look at a book and you go to so many, like there's so many resources, both digitally and on print
2: mm-hmm. that they
1: contradict each other. So I think it's hard to figure out what it is until it works for you and whatever caveat in your life that needs that help.
2: Yeah, You're yeah, right? 100%, 100% agree.
0: I'm one where I would I would like to read and know all the things.
2: Yeah, I know you
1: are. I know <laughs> yeah. you are.
2: But here's the thing: is like that's that's so many of us are like that. Uh-huh. And the question I would encourage you to ask yourself, and anyone else in the audience, if you are also mm-hmm. like that, is ask yourself why. Why do I feel like I need to know everything first? Because chances are.
1: It's going to be an answer you don't
2: want, you don't like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's, 100%. that's that's likely, that's even more reason to just like dive into it because often we want to know everything because we have a lack of trust in ourselves, or we have a perfectionism or we have a fear of letting people down, disappointing people, whatever, doing it wrong, fear of failure. And you're like developing your intuition and developing that self-trust is the path out of it. And the only way to step onto that path is to recognize that you're not gonna screw it up, you're not gonna do it wrong. When you're working with crystals, you are an audience of one. There's no one like, there's no one like looking down on you being like, <laughs> you're doing it wrong, <laughs> you know? Right. So like oh, allow God. yourself to take that pressure off. And then how you do anything is how you do everything. So when you take that pressure off in your spiritual practice, whether it's crystals or otherwise, then you start to notice you're taking that pressure off yourself in the rest of the areas of your life.
0: Right. I just want I everyone think- to know that Molly just hit all the nails on the hip. You didn't think
1: <laughs> you'd get a coach. It it. I, was-
0: I, felt like, I know my inner Virgo was like, oh, but why? <laughs> but it is overwhelming. It is. And then yeah. I'm just like, and I do enjoy it. But then I have this big old book that's like, okay, am I really going to read this whole ass book? No.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At the end of the day, I'm not.
1: And, and my whole thing is when, when that's the approach to picking a crystal, I mean, then you're biased towards that specific crystal that it's going to, it's it's like that little real like, you better fix my life, you little shit. And mm-hmm. what if, like, for me, amethyst, I've always wanted to have, like, work with it, but it doesn't it's a, a crystal that just doesn't do it. You know, me and I don't, mm-hmm. don't get along with each other, even though as much as I want it to do what it does, to yeah. me, it just repels it. And that's how I've gone around most of my like life. It's like, okay, this door doesn't work this one, even though the science and everything says it, it just doesn't like resonate or vibe with me. Um, but my point is to like a crystal when you are reading all these books and all these resources like to me is like how unbiased can you be towards that crystal, and then who's in for me? Like my question is like, who wrote that, and who did the research behind it? Because that's what I want to know. Like how many trials and tests did it come to be? Like Tiger Eye is one hundred percent confident. Like that's that's the other trust issue side of things. So, oh, totally. The people who write it down. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think like to i think energy is so much more intelligent than our like brain is so it's like you might think you need confidence from a crystal but what you actually need is to release perfectionism and so if you're going with that tiger's eye and trying to get the confidence you're like why am i not feeling more confident why am i not feeling more confident versus if you choose a crystal based on your intuition it's like an energetic match for you and so the energy is going to do what it needs to do and your brain may or may not have all the details until after the work is done yeah
0: for sure and actually the next question i had i know that Dee's gonna like because going into like what your brain likes um and and what we what we see it's like that's what we correlate with so in reiki class um in reiki 2 we we discuss symbols and their meaning and you showed us a few symbols and we were Mm -hmm. to write just write them down and what they meant to us, how we felt like without anything, just here's this symbol. How do you feel? And this was our assignment. And since D's in marketing and we talked about commercials and ads and when we see these symbols, how does it make us feel? So like Golden Arches, Mm -hmm. McDonald's, and then you put SpongeBob on there and several others. Mm -hmm. But can you elaborate how Mm -hmm. those in marketing and I know D loves it, like,
1: (laughs) I yeah. use symbols I'm in order to make,
0: it. yeah, in order to make the consumer feel a type of way and how that can tie into distance Reiki.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me circle around that um, for yeah. folks who, you know, cause I know there's folks not listening mm-hmm. who are not in the training. So Reiki two is the, the next level to Reiki one. Obviously. One. Yes. Two. <laughs> <Good> start, <laughs> you may literally
0: never know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but in Reiki 2 we talk about distance healing and there's um three Reiki symbols in particular. And I always thought the Reiki symbols sounded really woo until I started doing research into symbology and, and the actual science behind symbols is fascinating. It's so interesting um but symbols essentially they they don't carry meaning based on their squiggles and their lines and their their dots they carry meaning based on the associations we create with them right and so you know uh, um one of the examples that i give is you know like you said spongebob and it's like a uh, spongebob if you would never heard of spongebob you've never seen spongebob spongebob was like brand new to the market there was no branding associated to it right there's no there's no meaning you would, completely forget it. You would not respond. SpongeBob creates a reaction in us because of, you know, some people grew up watching SpongeBob. Mm -hmm. Some people's kids watch SpongeBob. Some people cannot stand his grating laugh, right? And so your body and your mind have a physical and emotional reaction to these symbols, right? Think about uh, when you see uh, a peace sign, we all know what that means. When you see a heart, like a drawn heart, we all know what that means. And and some of these symbols, we didn't even have to be taught, right? If we look at the research done by Carl Jung, he believes in the, the collective unconscious, which I describe as like the great big Google Drive in the sky, which is basically like all of these symbols that we have associations with that we didn't necessarily need to be taught. Like nobody had to teach me growing up to be afraid of spiders. I just am, <laughs> right? right? Like no one had to write a book about why you should be afraid of rattlesnakes, right? We just mm-hmm. are. No one had to describe to you what a mother is. And yet if we were to describe the qualities of a mother, we would all share the same qualities. And it's because of these associations that affect our physical and emotional bodies. And so in marketing, it's so interesting. I love D that you have a marketing background. I studied business in college, weirdly enough. So like I have a little bit of it too, but in marketing, a good marketing campaign is going to create an emotional response Mm -hmm. in the person, right? Because people buy based on emotion. And so we, they use symbology to evoke that, right? So think about when you think of Coca-Cola, what comes to mind when you think of that logo, like crisp, refreshing, like summer day, crack the Coke on the beach. Right. Mm -hmm. Or when you think about, um, it's another good symbol like Subway, eat fresh. If I want to eat healthy on the go, I'm going to go to Subway. Right. Like, and so we have these like associations based on like the marketing that is done. And mm-hmm. then when we see the logo, that association evokes that reaction. And then all of a sudden I am craving a Subway sandwich out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And to your point, it's that when I sit down with a client, we, I have, I'm more, my niche in marketing is brand focused. So Mm -hmm. it's a matter of taking that whole, because there's a difference between building a brand and doing a logo. Both of them are two different things and everything that comes behind it. It's the messaging, the vision, all of those things have to to coincide every time you see the message because that message, the mission, the values, the taglines, the slogans, all has to correlate. Like for example, Chick-fil-A, we all think of it as the Lord's chicken, and if you were to look at the extent of how deep their company's mission goes into it, is very beautiful. Granted, not how they maybe react to certain to certain things, but it, you've got to pick your battles at this point. Mm-hmm. But they use their T-shirts on their for employees. It's recyclable, um, recycled um, styrofoam cups. They use everything all the way to like the core. And I think that's what happens is that when, if a a campaign, if a marketing ad campaign is done right, it has to evoke a feeling. And I think that's why for the longest time, I always regret it. I always very much resented my psychology degree. But I think what's made me to be, to see branding in a different light is because I'm putting myself in that consumer's position instead of mm-hmm. just being the employee, like I have I have a coffee brand and that's all I want to do. It's yeah. like what is it gonna be? Like, how are we opening it up? How are we gonna, you know, even like the podcast that we did is like focus, focus, focus. It's like you even said yourself, all of this, but you have to really focus in on yeah. every single area to fully understand it. And I didn't know, I just would go around my life seeing that way, but. But because I do, I'm a very visual learner. I, yeah. I have shitty vision, so I have I was like <laughs> seeing, seeing symbols, and if it matches, then I know I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But it, that is it. Is it, most importantly, I think old marketing, old advertising campaigns have shifted. That's my, my thing is that I've seen so many shifts from going from like influencer marketing and I'm just like the art of what advertising was has mm-hmm. slowly started to kind of die off. And that makes me very sad.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I feel like everything's cyclical so it'll come back around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always think like people who know psychology make the best marketers because yeah, it's all about that feeling. And when it bring it back to distance Reiki and like the symbols that we use in Reiki It's just that it's the associations that we build with them. So when we have a symbol that evokes the energy of clarity and and balance and peace in Reiki, it's not because of the swoop de doops and the lines. It's because we built that association. It's because we practice feeling that feeling in the body while we're observing and drawing the symbol. So that over time, when we go into distance Reiki, whatever kind of Reiki, Reiki on ourselves, Reiki on others. When we call up that symbol, when we think of that symbol, it's like that energy is there. That association is there and the energy just moves in that direction. So yeah. Yeah. I love, I love, I love
1: psychology. I love the science. We geek out about it all day. <laughs> you know what it is, is that I think being spiritual is a direct, like maybe parallels to that. Because even young himself, like the shadow self, and, yeah. and all of that, like psychology is like the twin sister kind of to spirituality. Oh, it's just like the yeah, one that yeah. went to to school and you know made a career, yeah. marketed out of that way. But well, it has the so same goal, do. Uh-huh.
2: right? Just understanding ourselves, understanding each right. other, and like ultimately f- feeling better <laughs> for like yeah. so, a lack of better way to put it. It's like we're either on a, if we're on a path of psychology, or we're on a path of spirituality, we're all trying to just like, come home to ourselves, you know, (laughs) make this world a little bit easier.
1: Like make everything that you process, like bring down that anxiety, bring that that depression, Mm -hmm. and even help with a lot of like physical ailments that you, Mm -hmm. for example, and I'll segue into mine, it's like, because of all these things that manifest psychologically, psychologically mentally which is not even mentally it's more nervous system and as we know if you ever look at a skeleton like the nervous system goes into everything Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah and how you mentioned like the hip um the hip Mm -hmm. I mean I have I have um I was just diagnosed with IBS and it's very painful that I didn't know that I I had told Susan last week um last month that when I got IBS my shoulder hurts. Yeah, something that starts in your stomach. Yeah, but it, in all honesty, it was induced by stress by oh, everything yeah. that you carry. Everything that, um, for me, I've always had stomach issues since I was a little girl. And, and if you think about it, it's what the sac, the solar, and it has to do with confidence. It has to do with mm-hmm. like trusting yourself, like feeling that you can be a leader, feeling like you can come into your own.
2: Yeah. And
1: yeah. it's only to me, I always see like that when I start going into like the psychology and aspects of things, how it all does that uh, circle. But how does Reiki imbalance affect the body? Like, and how does it manifest? Yeah.
2: Like, to you. Yeah. Susie knows I love talking about the nervous mm-hmm. system. It's my yeah. literal favorite thing to talk about in the world because it really is, it was the bridge to me from understanding like how trauma impacts the body and mind mm-hmm. and how Reiki affects the body and mind. So the, the framework that I, I teach my students is what I call the triangle of healing. It's basically, it's a, a three-sided triangle, obviously, as they all are, mm-hmm. but it's a triangle. <laughs> and at one point you have your physical health, at another point you have your emotional health, and at the third point you have your energetic health. And the points are connected, meaning that they affect each other and are affected by each other. So Mm -hmm. our nervous system, right, like all it cares about is, in its essence, keeping you alive, right? It's designed for survival. Mm -hmm. And so there's two sides to it, right? Your sympathetic nervous system, that fight, flight, freeze response, that stress or survival response. And then there's the parasympathetic nervous system. That's your rest, restore, and heal or Mm -hmm. your relaxation response. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in that stress response, all of your resources and your body and mind go towards keeping you alive right? Your digestion slows down. No wonder people with chronic stress have IBS. There's a connection there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your mouth literally creates less saliva, so you can't break down food as well. Your pain receptors are affected, so you experience more pain, mm-hmm. tension, inflammation in the body. Your memory, concentration, and focus are impaired. Your uh, heart races. Your breath comes up into your throat, right? So all basically any function that is not directly associated with survival goes offline, so that your body can essentially prepare to run from a tiger or fight a tiger or play dead and hope the tiger moves on to fresher prey. That's your brain doesn't really know the difference between like your fear of uh, uh, coming into your power and a tiger chasing you. Right? Right. It's going to respond with that sympathetic nervous system response. And so in order for us to relieve the body of pain, relieve stress, relieve anxiety, heal in any way shape or form we have to be in that parasympathetic nervous system that relaxation response where Mm -hmm. all of those resources that went towards survival can now go towards equilibrium essentially all those functions come back online and so the way that reiki helps heal the body heal the mind do all of these things is because it shifts us from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system it reassures your brain and your nervous system that you're not actively being chased by a tiger. And the more often you reassure your system of that, the less it will be almost like a, a, I always describe it as like there's, we're supposed to have a switch between the resting and the survival, but a lot of us have a mousetrap Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. snap us into it. Mm -hmm. So the more often we do practices like Reiki, say like two minutes a day, even, it starts to loosen that tension on the mousetraps. So we can come back to having more of a, um, a balance between the two mm-hmm. sides because survival response, is not a bad thing, right? We need it. It's why we don't need tide pods or like, you know, seven <laughs> trains, but it was designed for short-term activation. And so I, I see Reiki as a pathway back to that pa- pathway back to equilibrium through the nervous system.
1: Actually, that's a very in- interesting The way you described it, because part of my dissertation for my honors thesis in college was to deal with PTSD and Mm -hmm. there's PTSD and dopamine, so like the serotonin and how everything. So once you experience a, a state of fight mode in your system, cortisol, adrenaline kicks into your body so your body at that point is heightened and ready to you know get attacked by a, a potential threat regardless if it's a cockroach yeah. on the screen you're living flashbacks from war, whatever it is because that's part of the study what happens is that we did that study it was done in the morning or in the evening and the kid and the students had to go back to you know get some sleep and in the following morning they had to go do the test again so mm-hmm. the reason why the, the night was so important was when you're resting, when you're in that state of like trying to keep your systems up and running, lowering all that stuff, your brain, your hippocampus, whatever you did during the day prior to that flight response gets categorized, um, your amygdala gets categorized. So it's like a little bridge yeah. and it gets all sorted in there. So if you had a really bad like experience, let's say like your boss yelled at you and it triggered that whole panic mode, like oh shit, like how am I going to do, like how am I going to live? And once you go home, you're always going to associate being called into the office as something mm-hmm. negative. And it's because those those chemicals in your brain and how your brain decided to categorize your entire day, it just put it in that fear section. So every single yeah. time you do that, yeah. you're having to do that. So now that I think of what, when you how you say Reiki is like bringing it back to zero is lowering those chemicals lowering that nervous system like instead of it just being like all the time staticky you reduce it so it makes everything else more of a lubricant yeah
2: yeah do you want to hear something wild that i tell my students susie's heard this (laughs) but uh because because you might be wondering at this point like okay i get i get the physical body the emotional body i get i get that connection where's the energy come in
1: okay Mm -hmm.
2: so you just mentioned you know cortisol adrenaline those hormones, right? They get secreted from the endocrine glands throughout the body, right? Our nervous system, it's it's very much connected to our myofascial system, which is basically like a 3D body stocking that covers your whole body and it communicates information from your brain to your body and back. And so it's what creates like sort of stores that, that memory. Uh, so if we You know, for instance, did a bicep curl every single day, right? Your fascia along with your bones and your muscles would all grow in a way that makes that movement easier. Mm -hmm. But when we experience something like anxiety, fear, think about what happens in your body, right? You have that tension in your chest, in your stomach, right? That squeeze on your digestive organs. Mm -hmm. Your brain doesn't know the difference or your fascia doesn't know the difference between a bicep curl and anxiety. It's going to start to grow in a way that makes that connection easier. So all of a sudden you start feeling more anxious, even when there isn't uh, an emotional cause to it Mm -hmm. now in your body. Here's the part where I I, I wish we were a video medium so that I can see (laughs) So you're going to have to verbalize the reaction, but in your body, there are seven locations where there's more fascia than anywhere else, more fascia, more information from brain to body, more of that electrical current that it's moving through. Those seven re- locations directly line up with your seven endocrine glands that are secreting those hormones into your bloodstream. Those seven locations directly line up with the seven major chakras on your spine. Yeah. 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 When I learned that,
0: when mo- I was like, shut the front door. <laughs> Not that I don't believe you,
2: but let me Google it real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. like, regardless of if you really look good. at these parts of the body through the lens of energy or through the lens of Uh, emotions or through the lens, through your physical health, it's all connected. It's the super highway for Mm -hmm. electricity, for communication that impacts our health. And so when it comes to Reiki, those are the parts of the body that we're working with. Mm -hmm. Those are the parts of the body that we're putting our hands. Those are the parts of the body that we're starting to bring balance through this energy. And so of course they're going to affect the way that we feel physically and emotionally too.
1: You know what's interesting when you know now that that all that all makes sense so think of like when you when we're using the highway analogy right and it's energy literally because it's the synapses firing away yeah. neurons into the body to drink. yeah when you're moving your hands you're basically active like you know how like all our highway systems go under maintenance at night like yeah. they are either yeah. catching things up at night that's kind of what Reiki is to our I seven that. like so, for a section, you know, you might need to cleanse like the eye. There might be mm-hmm. a bottleneck out of, you know, an exit or anything like that. But that's what Ricky is. It's supposed to go in there and kind of just do like a little sweep to make those electrical currents that yeah. highly keep going instead of being backed up and backed up and backed up. I love that. I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> yeah. For go go for it. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> that's <laughs> fantastic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And, and I always see like the chakras as like, um, sort of like, if you have a, like for me, when I had my, my hip pain, I didn't know it was connected to fear. I didn't know it was connected. You know, I had a theory it was connected to the trauma I was experiencing, but like, I didn't know it was connected to fear. Here's the thing that blew my mind when I learned it. Okay. There's always, almost always a connection between what the, the imbalance of the chakra and what's happening in your body and mind. So for, for, for instance, when it comes to fear, when we experience fear, our brain starts to send less, less oxygen to the low back, in particular, the sciatic nerve area, mm-hmm. which then creates pain in the hip, down the legs, to the feet. Mm-hmm. The root chakra, which is connected to the feeling of safety, security, and belonging, mm-hmm. which when out of balance, we can experience fear, is located directly where the sciatic nerve is and governs the energetic the energy from that space all the way down to your feet. So it's always connected. There's always yes. a connection.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I do. I am sorry, sorry. Anyways, so sorry. Anyway, so. Because I, I want to just go into, like, this whole thing and just have, like, a. I you can that. rabbit like,
0: hole this. You know? Yeah. yeah I'm a rabbit holler. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. And just because it, it didn't ding on me, like. When people say it's not energy, it one hundred percent is. I completely forgot about that when it says electrical currents because that yeah. is how mm-hmm. everything gets processed from yeah from our synapses to everything and how your brain is just an amazing. Like it's just amazing how everything gets compartmentalized, but it, all these different things have to go into place. That's why I always hate it when people always would call psychology a pseudoscience, and I'm like, nah, y'all just don't understand. It's <laughs> it's kind of like spirituality. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like it's not. Me- it's probably not meant for those people who are not ready for that gift yet. And I think that's what why psychology makes it so much easier. You know, to learn um, to open up your spiritual practices. And your intuition, because it, it all really has to be. It's like a mind kind of mind. Excuse yeah. me. um It was my like, pathway.
2: I mean, I. As yeah. I'm like, yeah. I started in psychology. It was like 16, and I was like, hell yeah, I want to know about Freud. He did yeah. what? He thought what? What? Like, mm-hmm. no. And then diving into like you know, in college, I took like the psychology of law and like the psychology oh, of yeah. and like all that stuff and try to understand, you know, and and then working in the field that I did, it was like, I was always trying to understand why, why people react the way that they do, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, an abuser doing horrible, horrible things, or whether it was someone who experienced abuse, why they responded the way that they did. Mm -hmm. And it all like nine, of 10, it comes down to the nervous system.
1: Mm -hmm. Then
2: whether or not your brain thinks you're being chased by a tiger
1: yeah because it gets categorized regardless it it somehow like lives in that that trauma that trauma response to the equip the thing is is that somebody once put this to me like if we ever if we ever have a very bad day or something that happened to us um this was after a little kid he was seven years old and i think his toy truck got run over or something like that or i don't know what it was but to that kid, that was the worst thing that happened to his life mm-hmm. thus okay. far. Yes. So if your brain gets categorized, mm-hmm. like, response from year one, year two, and all the bad little things, and they're they're all harbored in this, like, drive, like this folder inside your brain, mm-hmm. of course. You're going to somehow mistake. it was like, well, yeah, I remember, you know, that trauma response was the exact same time that I got, you know, bit by a dog.
2: They both right. live
1: in that folder. They're mm-hmm. not subcategorized in that aspect. And, um, so my question is, is that, you know, as somebody who, who does struggle a lot with like, um, with balancing the chakras, I don't do a great way of maintaining my highway system at this point. Mm. How can we self-cleanse those things? I mean, reducing stress is one of them. And, but what, what, how, how would you recommend, or how would you prescribe us something? (laughs) (laughs) To do this on the,
2: yeah. Here's a hot take that I have. Um, I don't believe that balancing the chakras is the goal, because it, when we say that we need to cleanse or balance the chakras, and that's what I need to do, it's like we're talking about them in a vacuum, and they don't exist in a vacuum,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? You are. If you have an imbalance in in one of your chakras, you also have a pattern of physical and emotional things that are both leading into that imbalance and affected by that imbalance. And so I, I always prescribe like a holistic approach, right? Like what's happening in your physical body, what's happening emotionally, Mm -hmm. and then how can you bring balance to those things and let that impact the chakras? Because if we only focus on balancing a chakra, like say like my hip situation, I keep coming back to that, but if I only focused on my hip and I didn't work on, you know, setting boundaries at my job so that I wasn't living in a fear response, if I didn't work on, um, you know, physical therapy to fix the muscles that had atrophied when I was in pain, then I would just be balancing that root chakra, finding maybe a little bit of relief and then bouncing back to pain and then coming back and coming back. So it becomes Mm -hmm. like this, like boomerang. So Mm -hmm. my approach to the chakras is always like, if you feel like you have an imbalance, it's like approach it from a physical, emotional and energetic standpoint, right? So if it's, if you mentioned solar plexus, you mentioned IBS. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I gave Susie some, I'll <laughs> give you some coaching. Yeah, go, 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 go. <laughs> So IBS, and, and especially since you mentioned like coming into your power, which is very connected to the solar plexus chakra, which is located for folks who don't know at the base of your sternum, like right around your diaphragm. I want you to think about, patterns in your life where you may have inadvertently or consciously been told to hold tension there, right? A lot of us growing up, were told to suck it in, right? Uh Suck it in, pay attention to our weight, make ourselves smaller. And so what happens is when you, when you get into this pattern of sucking it in, sucking it in, being really conscious of your stomach, then now you're not breathing from your diaphragm, you're breathing from your throat, your chest which stimulates that sympathetic nervous system response. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden we have this pattern of tension of not being able to breathe deep into the abdomen. We have the solar plexus that is like being told to be small, that is being told to reserve our power, to hold our power back or to hide it. And we have the the response in our body of that squeeze on your digestive organs. No wonder you have IBS.
1: But that's very funny because it's like when you we hear speak and come into your power it's never from your solar plexus. you always hear it's the it's the, yeah. the throat chakra, chakra. chakra. Like, speak but in reality it's like how can you use this if that's locked off yeah you know? yeah like, then you're not really speaking authentically you're speaking just you know because like it's a scream but it's not mm-hmm. a well-scripted argument yeah there, and there's a difference there
2: and even physically, okay. right? Like if you always speak from your throat and you're breathing up in your chest, you're going to tax your voice. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I was a, I was a musical theater kid growing up and it was always breathe, breathe with your diaphragm, breathe with your abdomen, right? That's where your power is in your voice. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, again, like the chakras don't exist in a vacuum, right? If you have a throat imbalance, you might have a solar plexus imbalance. So it's kind of like I always tell my students, like the end goal is not to have your chakras completely in because that's going to happen for like maybe a second. And then you're going to go out right. because you're a human, right? The goal is to start to connect the dots so that when you do have a, a physical or an emotional issue, you can connect the dots to the chakra and you can start to see like, oh, maybe my IBS is coming from the fact that I'm afraid to be in power or afraid Mm -hmm. to be confident or afraid to really show my, my true power. So what if I worked on that and then see if that impacts the physical?
1: Mm -hmm. I like that one. Yeah. because I
2: I mean, it's stored everywhere. I mean,
1: I've
0: I've done sessions with uh, Molly and even like in the programs. And so I'm scared of scarce. I I didn't know I had a fear of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's growing up in my background. So, yeah. I mean, I've said before on the pod, you know, my parents were divorced. Mom was raising three kids. Not that my dad wasn't there. But, you know, I always hear like, oh, well, we're going to pull you out of Folklorico because it's getting a little too expensive. Mm-hmm. And then just growing up and, you know, I didn't really un- know that it was scarcity. There was always food on the table. Yeah. You know what I mean? But as a kid, and that's why I do tell people, kids are not dumb, yeah. They understand if they don't understand it mentally, but they feel it and they sense yeah. it. Which is why when I get them in studio or in class, they're almost like little balls of tension. And sometimes people don't un- understand that they they are living their lives. This is their world. And like Dee said, if that little boy's truck got run over, that was like impactful.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's, yeah, a lot of, and like I said, like I had a fear of scarcity, didn't even realize it. And when we're, when you were going through distance Reiki, I'm like, oh no, I have this nagging, like not really at the shoulder, but at the base of my neck, it's weird. Yeah. You're like, yeah, explore that. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) and then it's like, I just felt like overwhelming in the chest Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: down and it's so, yeah, that energy like you said, like a highway moving around, and you'll know, give it space. And I'm like, why would I want to give that space? <laughs> no, and, and
2: it's, it feels you know, icky, you know. But what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. You give okay. it space so that it can move out and through. Just like, like if there was a traffic jam on the highway, what clears up traffic? Space,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? You can't yeah. clear up traffic if you're bumper to bumper the entire time. Yeah. That's ne- you're always going to be stuck. It's a matter of creating that space so that the cars can move through, so that the energy can move through, so the emotion can move through, so the physical body can release that tension.
1: Exactly. And um, yeah, no, that's a really interesting way about... So like going to it, like the scarcity thing, I have always been told, suck it in, wipe off your tears, go handle it. And I, I hate that. It's it's a trigger of mine that I work in therapy. Yeah. you know, And it wasn't until I decided just decided to like start getting rid of the IBS and start doing an anxiety journal. Somehow, I don't know what Pinterest did, but it... it. um <laughs> So let, let me just break this into this little mini tiny rabbit hole. I wear a watch, uh, the um, Garmin, and it's been running for several times, and I have always wanted to have low resting heart rate. I did not know that people who are diagnosed with um, GA, which is general anxiety, tend to have rapid heartbeats. So it didn't matter how much I would put in the track, the mileage, my heart rate was always, always high. And it wasn't until I realized that that was a sign of anxiety. And now that that you're telling me, it's like, when you're taught to hold this in, like from your stomach, and you're breathing from your throat, it's closer to your heart. Yep. That way it has to accelerate a lot of the pumping system that goes into your body, therefore accelerate, because it's there's a there's a blockage somewhere. There's yeah. literally a blockage in your stomach yeah. that doesn't let you kind of like let the blood flow better. And it's like, that. you know, not to go
2: off too much of a tangent, but you have yeah. um, you have a nerve that's associated with your your survival response or your resting response called the vagus nerve. And it, it runs from your, um, basically like the base of your brain down to your stomach. It touches all your digestive organs and it communicates information back and forth from brain to body. And, um, it's very much connected to those like butterflies in your stomach or like the gut instincts. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's also so connected to our stress. I always say it's like the link between anxiety and intuition, because if your vagus nerve is, um, if you have kind of like a a, a weak, we call it vagal tone, right? Then you're more likely to be anxious. And if you have a strong vagal tone, then you're more likely to be able to move through that anxiety and come into your intuition, right? Those gut instincts. Mm -hmm. But the way that we measure vagal tone is by looking at the relationship between your breath rate and your heart rate. Because when you inhale, your heart rate naturally quickens. Mm -hmm. And when you exhale, it naturally slows down. And so there's this connection. If we start to breathe shallowly, our heart naturally starts to quicken because we're taking more of those inhales and we're affecting the vagus nerve. And then all of a sudden your brain thinks there's a tiger because you're breathing Uh like you're being chased. And so of course, if you have anxiety, your, your heart rate's gonna be faster because your brain thinks you're being chased by a tiger. (laughs) All the time, like Mm -hmm. different scenarios all the time. It always comes back to the tiger with me. Like Mm -hmm. I've not found a single scenario Mm -hmm. where I can't be like, nah, it's not the tiger this time. It's always always the tiger. And that's why I think Reiki is so powerful because it's a practice where you can start to recognize and reassure that tiger so that you have more space to choose how you wanna respond in life Mm -hmm. rather than constantly fighting or trying to run or trying to just like, or just freezing. It's right. like creating that agency over that tiger rather than right. you know, just letting it rule your life. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And with that, I mean, I feel like anyone can benefit from Reiki, right? But I know mm-hmm. that at least with age, I know you can discuss more Molly, but if you can give us, if someone is looking to either maybe taking Reiki class to learn Reiki for themselves or maybe to go see what Reiki is about,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: what are some red flags or and green flags we can look for when finding a credible practitioner to mm-hmm. go in and get Reiki yeah. done and maybe a credible um, teacher if we want to learn for ourselves?
2: Yeah, yeah, so the number one is like, again, Reiki works by helping reassure that tiger in your brain that you're not about to die. And so <laughs> the number one thing is comfort, right? Mm-hmm. If you're uncomfortable around the person, if you get the ick, if you've got that gut feeling of like, I don't know about this person,
1: mm-hmm. um
2: that's the that's the biggest red flag, right? Because even they could be the best Reiki practitioner in the world. They could be me. And yes. if I give you the ick, I don't come to me because right. your comfort matters so much because you know when you're uncomfortable your nervous system is on alert right so that that resonance is really important and then i always recommend looking for someone who speaks about reiki in a way that connects with you right mm-hmm. if you are kind of resonating with this conversation and the science you know find someone who's who's knowledgeable in the science you know you might not resonate with someone who's like going to talk to you about archangels and you know the mm-hmm. spiritual realm and and akashic records or whatever like all that stuff is great if you're into it but like finding someone who speaks about the practice using language that you a understand and b connect with is really important and then when it comes to finding a training if you want to learn how to do reiki for yourself which i recommend for pretty much everyone if you have stress in your life you should learn how to do reiki so Mm -hmm. check um i always recommend like looking into the program because there is you know there's thousands of people you can learn reiki from So A, like the resonance is really important. Um, Are they going to teach you what you want to know, right? So like uh, my training dives really heavily into the science behind how this works so that you can understand what is happening in your physical body, not just when you're doing Reiki, but when you're experiencing stress so that you can start to recognize and reassure that tiger in your brain. Mm -hmm. Not all Reiki masters are going to do that. Mm -hmm. So if that's important to you, find someone, maybe me, I don't know, could be me, to learn Um, I also think it's really important to look for people who have a proven track record, who have graduates of their program that are actually practicing Reiki. Um, I'm really proud to say that like over 90 percent of my students, when they graduate the program a year later, are still practicing, if not daily, weekly, their Reiki practice, which shows Mm -hmm. that they're actually learning the information. Yes, but also integrating it enough that they can do it on their own without me, which is really my goal. Um, I always like to say my goal when I started teaching Reiki in 2020 was I wanted to have the most supportive Reiki training on the program. And I, I think I hit the nail on the head. Uh, yes. so mine is a, it's now a five week online program. Occasionally I'll do like one day intensives. Um, but mo- for the most part, it's a five week online program and it's, it's wrapped up in a tremendous amount of support. So for me, I give you an extensive manual. A lot of Reiki trainings will just give you like a couple of photocopies in a in a folder, but I want you to have all of the information up front so that you can be present for for the training and not feel like you have to take every note down. <laughs> and yeah, Susie, you have all <laughs> of the information <laughs> ahead of us. Yes. Um, but I also provide a tremendous amount of support to my graduates, they're they're in my corner for life. So, you know, we do uh, graduate exclusive events, we have an exclusive graduate community, you have me in your back pocket to ask questions. Um, I send six weeks of, of support through email where it's every week you get an email from me, it might be a video guided practice, it might be a, a reminder from training, but just to help you implement um, the information after the fact. And then for me, um, I, I think it's a green flag when you find a Reiki practitioner or a Reiki master who is, uh, trained in trauma-informed care. That's something that's obviously really important to my values, but I have a belief that, and it's backed by the research that if you're not, um, if your Reiki practitioner does not know how to hold space for your trauma, you will not receive the benefits of Reiki, right? right? If they're, and, and a lot of, none of them do this on purpose, but there are, there are practices that can inadvertently trigger someone's trauma. And then all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. in that survival response and it's like, you might as well not be getting a Reiki session. And so for me, you know, I, I, I bring that lens to everything that I teach. So my, my training is uh, probably more elaborately than it needs to be trauma informed. Uh, but it's because, you know, when I have people go out in the world and they practice Reiki after, after Reiki too, I want them to be able to hold that space for for survivors of trauma um, and and not, not feel like worried about it. You know, I'd rather give you all the information and train you thoroughly with like the real world experience that I have okay. than just give you a book to read and say good luck.
0: <laughs> but, yeah because i mean look, look at the world we live in how yeah. how does someone not have some kind of trauma oh
2: for in sure in their Especially life after the last couple of years right
0: exactly and i can attest um because i know d did her reiki one in person and uh mm-hmm. and at the time i just i could not but i take molly's class i did took reiki one to reiki two um and i will take reiki three um <laughs> but I was like, oh, I wasn't sure. Like, how can I take a Reiki class and learn online? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm not, I was very not, well, yes, skeptical about online training. Mm -hmm. But I will say that, yes, Molly is amazing. Her website is amazing. She, you can ask a question and she will get back to you. But also the community of students. Yeah. Going and asking a question and reaching out and someone answers, um, just lending that support. There's videos, there's and I, I always love Molly's videos because they're very informative and then it's like blooper real. <laughs> I'm like, she's a person. Yes. <laughs> because sometimes yeah. you know we see the teacher as like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to ask a question. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, she's a regular human being, you know. Yeah. And at least for myself where I can be a little bit high, strong, just, just as had, but just the raking itself has really helped me. Mm -hmm. And that's just me. And then just feeling like, you know what, I can lend this support to others. So Mm -hmm. I highly, highly, highly recommend Molly and her training. And we're going to put all her stuff Mm -hmm. in the show notes a hundred percent. But as we finish up, Molly, what do you have, how can people reach you
2: and what do you have going on? Yeah, I mean you can you can hit me up, MollyDonlin.com is the website. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, threads, all the places now. <laughs> at at my handle is at modizzle with a zero instead of an O and a three instead of an E. Um and yeah, if you're if you're interested in Reiki training, now's a really good time. I open the doors for Reiki One, the science of self-healing twice a year. So doors will open for the fall training on August 1st. So if you are listening to this when the episode goes live, hey, Hey. how are you? Could be serendipitous (laughs) timing for you. Uh, But if not, I I keep a wait list. So uh, we'll we'll leave both those links down below and you can join whenever you feel ready. Um, And, you know, if you want to listen to me geek out about this stuff and you're not quite ready for training, you can check out the podcast. It's called Demystify Magic. It's all about exploring all things woo through this lens of both science and spirituality. So you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And I highly recommend, yeah, I'm caught up
0: for <laughs> sure. So we started um, with season three where we choose an affirmation
1: Ooh, yeah. from
0: the book. So since Molly is our guest, we're just I'm just gonna ask you to intuitively tell me when to stop and I will read the affirmation and then we can close out our podcast episode. Can I pick a number? Sure, pick a number. 37. Ooh, another 70. (laughs) Okay, 37. Here we go. I am stronger than I was yesterday. Mm. is your affirmation experience is what makes us stronger the challenges the heartache the grief the happiness and the pleasure every experience whether it is good or bad provides us with the tools for the future
2: i love that
0: yeah so we will post that for sure on our all of our areas so as we close out and we say thank you to molly for coming on and sharing all of your juicy knowledge with us. We could talk forever, literally, oh, but I thank know. you. I know. <laughs> thank you so, so much. And for our audience, you can find us at Hocus Pocus Let's Focus on Instagram and on TikTok. If you um, want to get a hold of us, send us an email. Um, Hocus Pocus Let's Focus at gmail.com. And then if you can smash all the buttons, give us a five-star review, and send your review to us, you will get a free card pull um, from myself. So you can take a screenshot, send that to us, and we yeah. appreciate it. That way we can, when you boost up the pod and you do all that stuff, we can reach
1: more people out there. Right. So. Yeah. And we will be talking about um, Molly in it, so yeah. that way it can both help her out, too. Okay. So if you mm-hmm. love anything... Love this episode. Give us a review. Yeah. Um, Thank you for being on. I love this whole.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm always down to geek out about this stuff with friends.
0: Yeah. All right, everyone. So we will catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye, Bye, y'all.